Hello, and welcome to Papago Butte's Church of the Brethren podcast, recorded live weekly at our campus in Scottsdale, Arizona, during our normal service. to be preaching with you today. Um, so if I am uh, driving a car that is unfamiliar with to me, uh, one of the first things I do is to very much get acclimated to where the blind spots are. Um, that's probably the most important thing to me with, with, with uh, you know, being a vehicle I don't know. That's more important than like, where are the lights or the brakes or other things like that? Because by and large, those features are pretty much where you think they're going to be. Like, you know where the brakes are, you know where the lights are, like that kind of stuff you kind of know. Uh, but blind spots, like the severity of those and kind of like where they land, like that can vary per vehicle, um, and it just always takes me a while to feel comfortable driving in a new-to-me vehicle. Like, I just will always like stress about that. Um, when I first landed here in Phoenix, I was working for a farmer's market on Saturdays. I was selling uh, produce at a local uh, for, for a local farm on, uh, at, at the farmer's market downtown Phoenix, um, and I wasn't really working outside of this, and so I was like, hey, you're a farm. You probably have other stuff. Like, Can I do some work for you guys? And so one day they said, hey, do you want to del- deliver uh, vegetables all across the valley for our CSA? Um, and I was like, sure, I'll do that. That sounds like fun. Uh, so they put so they put me in this Dodge Sprinter van, uh, which had no side windows whatsoever. Um, and so I was fully, uh, or so, uh, sorry, the back the um, the back windows were completely like boarded up. So like all I could see were my side uh, so using my side mirrors. Um, and that was probably honestly one of the longest days of my life of my life because I was like loading up these like heavy vegetable trays. I was having to unload them. I was using my GPS. I just landed here. I don't know where anything is. I'm driving this van and I'm like having to fully like use my mirror. Like I was just doing a lot of like this, like it was one of the most stressful days of my life. And I decided, you know what? I'm pretty comfortable with like the idea of doing a lot of things. Uh, But I think driving a van and delivering vegetables, that is not the life for me. So that is not what I ended up doing. Um, So I bring all this up today because we're going to talk about blind spots. Uh, We're going to talk about blind spots within our faith tradition. Um, over the last few months, we've been talking about our denomination and what it means to be rooted in anabaptism. Um, last week, we talked about what does it mean to be rooted in pietism. Um, and for the most part, I think this has been a positive conversation, uh, but I think it's also important to recognize that every system you're part of, every faith stream you may find yourself in, has the potential for blind spots, has the potential for shortcomings, has the potential to kind of maybe like be jumbled about some stuff. And it's important to recognize those things, address those things, and work on making them better. Um, So it's important to acknowledge them so you can adequately address them and move forward. Um, So as always, we begin in prayer, so please pray with me. Uh, Lord, we are so uh, thankful uh, for your word. We're thankful for the truth of your word throughout the ages and the truth of your word for us here and now today. I pray pray that I would indeed be able to preach and proclaim your truth, that we can wrestle with the idea of having blind spots, um, and that we can uh, just better love you and better be disciples of Jesus in the process. Amen. All right, so our text today comes from the letter of 1 John. Uh, the Apostle John, he wrote a bunch of our New Testament, including uh, this letter. Um, we don't have a lot of context necessarily uh, for who it was written or exactly why it was written, uh, but it's a nice short letter, uh, provides guidance for uh, first century uh, fellow believers. Um, and so I'll put the text up on the screen again for us. Um, and this text basically uh, starts by declaring that God is light, that God is truth. 
and that as people who are seeking to be conformed to the image of Jesus, uh, that we are to be people of light, that we are to be people of truth as well. Uh, In verse 8, he says that if we claim that we have no sin in our lives, then we're deceiving ourselves. We're calling God a liar in the process. Like, that's a pretty heavy thing to say. Uh, But the good news remains that Christ has forgiven us of our sins. And again, we are to be people of the light. Uh, Light helps to expose the, the darkness that's in our lives. It helps to expose the darkness that's around us. You know, and with any biblical text uh, like this, obviously a lot we can say about it, but for the purposes of our sermon today, what we're going to talk about today, I think this is a a call to humility. Uh, This is a text that calls us to stay grounded and rooted in humility. Um, That is to say that none of us here, myself very much included, have figured it all out. And honestly, like, we need to be okay with the fact that we're never going to have it all truly, perfectly figured out. Uh, This side of the new heavens and the new earth Like, we are on a continuous journey, Uh, that we remain fallen, that we remain very fallible, Um, and it's a call to remain everly present in our humility. Um, We may remain stuck with certain things. You know, we may get stuck in certain sins, maybe certain patterns that we need help with. Again, we're going to get some things wrong along the way. At times, we're going to look back on our lives and be like, oh, like, maybe I I wish I had handled this a little bit differently. Uh, We need to be okay with the fact that future generations are going to look, look back on us, like here now today, and say like, oof, they were wrong about this thing, uh, which is exactly what we do with past generations. We easily look back and say, oof, they were wrong about this. Um, so again, I think this text calls us to have an ever-present uh, sense of humility about ourselves, that we always remain rooted, that we always remain, remain grounded in humility. Um, This is a call to remain open in discovering where your blind spots are. Um, As individuals, we need to know about this, uh, where our blind spots are. As a local church body, as a local church community, we need to be open to this. And as a denomination, as a faith stream, we need to be open to this as well. Um, That means we need to uh, allow others uh, into our lives to allow others to speak truth into our lives. Uh, That means we have to be willing to take a good, hard look at ourselves as well. Again, being rooted in humility means like asking hard questions, uh, asking difficult things that we might not like the answers to, but we still need to face those things. Um, So today, let's talk about some of these ideas. Uh, Let's talk about some of our potential blind spots. This is not an all-inclusive list, and, you know, if we were to have a conversation, your list might be a little bit differently. It might be a little different. It might vary in scope and size and things like that. Um, Some of these you may agree with. Some of these you may not. And if you don't, that's awesome. That's okay. Like, let's have a conversation about it. Uh, But hopefully it gets us thinking and talking. Um, And so, again, every single group, every single faith tradition has blind spots. Like, it's important to recognize this. No matter where you find yourself on the spectrum of Christianity, there's some sort of blind spots uh, that you're dealing with. And honestly, like, some of these things are probably true no matter where you land. Like, again, blind spots are everywhere. Um, The the first one I want to address was brought up in my message last week. So we're going to talk a little bit about something we talked about last week. Um, And that is that we can end up following Jesus at the expense of worshiping him. Um, early on in our series about like Anabaptism, uh, we talked about the idea that, that in Christendom, it's very easy to claim worship of Jesus at the expense of following him. It's very easy uh, to make Jesus your mascot instead of your example. 
Um, that is to say that you can talk a lot about Jesus. You can put up pictures of him. You can wear a cross around your neck. You can sing all these worship songs. You can memorize Bible verses. Um, and yet you completely ignore living out what he said. It's easy to do like all these things, say all these wonderful things, but then not actually like listen to his teachings, not actually put into practice the things he commanded us to do. Um, Anabaptism at its best recognizes the importance of needing both of these things, that you need to worship him and you also need to follow him. And yet in our faith stream, it's very easy for us to go overboard uh, with following him so much that we forget to worship him in the process. We kind of like just follow him to the point of like, oh, we forget to like worship him too. Um, that is to say that we can easily turn him into a, uh, just a good teacher or just some sort of nice prophet. Basically, like we can turn him into a mascot as well. Uh, we can easily turn him into a person that identifies with our politics and leave it just as that. So it's easy for us to turn him into a political hero. hero. It's easy for us to just mesh, to take whatever, like, uh, to take Jesus into whatever we identify ourselves with, rather than like let Jesus uh, shape our identity. Often we want to like shape Jesus to match us when Jesus says, "No, you you match with me." Um, and so we recently talked about the idea that our tradition is non-credal. Uh, that is to say, we don't necessarily like make a big deal about theology. We don't really like codify what you have to believe to be part of this faith tradition. Um, you know, we would say like, "Hey, we just believe that we're Christians," uh, but then we never make you sign anything saying, "Well, this is like what this means." Uh, we don't give you like principles or ideas of of, of what we what you need to sign off on. It's it's kind of assumed that everyone believes the basics, but we never really like define what those things are. And with everything, there's, there's good and bad in that approach. Um, the good is, again, we don't get super hung up on our theology. We're not really out to try to like, get others wrong or get into these lengthy theological arguments. Um, and admittedly, once you start writing down what you have to believe, like, that list tends to get longer and longer over time. Um, so that's like some of the, the good in that approach. Uh, but the bad in that approach is sometimes it's helpful uh, to at the very least have a semblance of boundaries or a semblance of guidance, just to have something like, hey, like we can at least, we, we agree to these things. Because um, otherwise, you can just believe whatever you want to believe. Uh, you can believe that Jesus remains a good moral teacher and just leave it at that. And so at our best, uh, Anabaptism brings balance to following Jesus and worshiping him at the same time. And at our worst, Anabaptism veers strongly uh, into the following part at the expense of worship. That's the first blind spot. Uh, second blind spot we can talk about is that uh, potentially of legalism. Legalism. Um, now, maybe this isn't as much of a blind spot as it was in the past, uh, but if you study Brethren history, you'll come across all kinds of debates about proper living and like how we should like practice things. I think I mentioned these in a recent sermon. Like we had lengthy debates on like, is it okay to drive a car or not? You know, what kind of clothing is acceptable? There's probably a point in history where if I wore this in a Brethren church, I would have been seen as like this very worldly person or even having like a wedding band. My wedding band has the Incredible Hulk on it. Like that would have been like really like heretical maybe years ago. Um, you know, is it okay to have a doorbell or a television? Like, these are some of the debates we had. And again, we, we, again, we can mock these things. We can kind of laugh about them now. Um, but in the past, I think we had a much stronger emphasis on being a plain people, of being a simple people. Um, as, uh, simplicity had been defined as just avoiding new things, new technology, all of that. And I think in, in the process, maybe we went a little bit overboard. 
Um, but it's also easy to, into th uh, to fall into thinking that just the brethren approach is always the best or always the right one because we slap that label on it and then it's free from criticism or it's free from like, like that's the only way we can talk about it because it has that brethren uh, approach to it. Sometimes it's like, well, no, there's other ways of thinking about this or talking about this or maybe we, we can expand our scope a little bit. Um, even with our non-creedal approach to things, it's easy for us to become legalistic. Um, we're going to be talking about what it means to be a peace church uh, pretty soon. Um, and even that, even like being like a peace church, that can become twisted. That can become legalistic. Uh, we can throw that word peace around a lot. We can uh, kind of like misdefine that or misuse that or say like, hey, if, unless you sign off on being a peace person, like we want nothing to do with you. And weirdly, that can become legalistic. We can um, place so much value on the idea of peace that we look down on anyone else who might disagree with us. Um, but again, that's a sermon for down the road. Um, so it's easy uh, to say about a practice or an idea like, hey, this is how we do things. This is the only true way to do it. This is the only right way to do it. This is the only correct way to practice this thing. And we can become so set in our ways that we neglect to welcome in others to the story. Uh, we can uh, just kind of forget to incorporate new ideas or styles or uh, be open to the Holy Spirit working newness in our lives as well. So we can kind of get bogged down legalistic, uh, legalism uh, this kind of ties in with our third point, our next point. Our next point is um, the idea that uh, separatism uh, can also be in our tradition. Separatism. Um, that uh, we have often gone off and created groups that congregate together, um, and then we're not always the best at, like, welcoming in new people. We're not always, like, the best at kind of, like, kind of welcoming people that aren't like us. Um, an extreme example of this is the Amish. Now, to be fair to the Amish, uh, they kind of just want to be left alone. They kind of want to do their own thing. Um, again, there's, there's good and bad in that. Uh, you can actually convert and be Amish. Like, I had a conversation with someone one day about this, and you can do that, but they typically aren't, like, trying to, you know, well, uh, to uh, uh, incorporate others in. Uh, but within many Anabaptist circles, uh, we use a lot of insider language, we use a lot of acronyms that, like, nobody else has. We use a lot of words that maybe, like, you're not familiar with that word if you didn't grow up in it, and you can kind of forget to, like, explain those acronyms and explain those words to new people. Um, and, if, again, if you step into that world, you kind of always feel like an outsider, uh, and that can create a bit of a catch-22. Um, because, on the one hand, when you're surrounded by people who've experienced, like, similar things to you, who have this kind of, like, similar upbringing and worldview, that can create a very strong bond. That can be a very, like, wonderful thing, a very, like, thing that just unites you with other people. Um, there's this German idea called Gemeinschaft. I have, in case you were like, what is that word up on the, up on the, up on the board? Gemeinschaft. Um, that doesn't necessarily have an English counterpart, but we're going to talk about what it means. Uh, Gemeinschaft. I was typing this word. I was saying a lot as I practiced my sermon. So I want us all to say that word together because maybe you've heard of it. Maybe you haven't. But on the count of three, we're all going to say Gemeinschaft together. One, two, three. Gemeinschaft. Yeah, we're speaking some good German today. All right, so the idea of Gemeinschaft, what this means is that it's this strong sense of union in a group that comes from sharing a deep commitment to things that are held in common. It's this strong sense of union that comes with a group that we have this sense of, of commonality, we have this identity that we all like, feel common about. And so, like, for instance, in a, in a church setting, in a brethren setting, um, you can grow up and you can meet others. You've never talked to this person in your life before, but you realize you have all these weird things in common with them. 
Um, you know, like maybe your parents knew each other in co college. Uh, you grew up singing the same kind of songs that no one else knows. Um, you grew, went to the same kind of camps that no one else has even heard of. Again, you're maybe meeting this person for the first time, and yet you have this weird kinship with them because they experience the same kind of beats in life that you experience, but you grew up in like completely different parts of the country. And so the good of Gemeinschaft is um, it's, it's, it can be this wonderful and beautiful thing. It can make strangers, people who have never met before, like instant friends. And, and hopefully uh, being part of this church, that's something that you're you know, experiencing here on, on a regular basis. Um, so that's the good in Gemeinschaft. The bad, the, the problem with this, the blind spot that can, that can be there is, uh, this can also uh, create an environment of cliques. This can create an environment where like everyone's kind of huddled together and kind of forgets to like, like welcome in the new person and explain things to them. Um, again, new people come in, they're welcome. They said, hey, we're glad you're here. Uh, but at the same time, they might never feel like truly included. So they're welcomed, but maybe not included. Um, they know that they're an outsider and they know that deep down, they're never gonna quite be part of the in crowd. Like they just never will be there, even if they've been there for like 20 or 30 years. Um, this past year at the annual conference, uh, one of the pastors that I met, he's a little bit older than me, uh, but he lives really close to where I grew up in, in, in Pennsylvania. And we got to talking and it turns out, man, we liked like all the same kind of bands like back in the day. We do all these weird, obscure local bands. And so like instant, instant, instant Gemeinschaft with this guy. Like we were able to reminisce about things from our youth that we valued. And again, I've never even like talked to this guy before, but we had this instant connection. He also introduced, he like found out where I like, went to high school. He's like, oh, you gotta meet this other guy. And so I started talking to this other pastor who ended up being related to like this like well-known family from my high school. And I was like, wait, I pulled out my phone. I pulled up Facebook. I was like, you mean this family? I pointed to some pictures. He's like, yes, those are my cousins. I was like, whoa instant Gemeinschaft with this person. Uh, but the pastor that I connected with, he also like did not grow up in the brethren world. And one of the things that like, as we were talking was he, he was lamenting that as he got plugged into things, as he became like a pastor and kind of started going to conferences and things like that, um, he always felt like an outsider, um, even though he was invited to the table. Um, because he didn't go to the same colleges. He didn't have those same camp experiences. He couldn't throw around those other brethren uh, phrases. And for a while, he just kind of felt like, like, I belong, but I don't really belong. Like, he would interact with people, um, and they like, didn't know how to like, talk with him because, like, oh, we didn't go to the same college, and so therefore I have nothing to say to you. So there, there's this weird irony and this weird catch-22 in that we believe very strongly in welcoming people in, and yet we don't always know how to code switch with new people. We don't always know how to like slow down and like make sure we're explaining our processes and our acronyms and like why we value this thing because this person might not like understand that and we just assume they do. Um, and so that can create a standoff culture, whether we realize we're doing it or not, whether we're be trying to be intentional uh, with that or not. So again, there's a bit of an irony with the, with the Gemeinschaft. Uh, fourth uh, potential blind spot uh, can be institutionalized loss of energy and focus. Um, so our group has been around for 300 plus years now. Like, that's a long time. Like, again, 1708 or 09 is when we started. We came to America in the 1720s. Like, our denomination, our, our tradition is older than America. Like, that's pretty old. And so with that comes, like, you know, a long history and traditions and learning from our mistakes along the way. Um, but also what comes with that is just you get kind of tired after a while. Like you've been around for a while and you're like, you get kind of tired along the way. 
Um, we can become set in our, in, in our ways and kind of enter a mode of wanting to just like coast on by. Or maybe we realize like we got to change things. We got to think about things differently. And yet like we've been around for a while. Like I don't want to put in the work. I've already done that. We can kind of get tired. Um, maybe there, like, with that, uh, it becomes a fear of the unknown in trying new things because, like, all the what ifs. Oh, we've never done that before. What about what if this happens? What if this happens? What if this happens? Or, oh, we tried that once and it, it, went, it went poorly, so we don't want to try it again. Um, admittedly, uh, when there's infighting, uh, that can get really tiring as well. Uh, that can zap your energy, that can zap your creative focus, and we've had a lot of infighting in the past few decades, too. Um, I think when you're around for a while, it can, it can be very easy to like, like just romanticize the past. And I think we, in our faith tradition, we really like the past a lot uh, to the point where we sometimes forget like, oh, we're living now. We're living here and now and we're like, thinking about the future. Um, so when you exist for so long, it's easy just to get set in your ways, kind of romanticize the past and you lose an outward focus. You know, we have this phenomenal theology that speaks so well to so much of the pain and the hurt that many Christians have experienced, and yet we kind of are struggling with how to connect to this. I think we offer this amazing vision of what faith uh, can look like, what a life shaped by faith can look like, and yet we're fumbling with how to just get this message out there to people that don't know us. Um, a few weeks ago, when I mentioned in a sermon how like we're going through this denominational church split, how we've you know we've lost a lot of local churches along the way, um, and while we're we're gaining some new churches here and there, we are welcoming in a few here and there. Um, that's like barely a focus. That's barely like we're not, we're like oh okay, I'm glad this is happening, but we're not really like doing much more about that. And I think when you're part of a faith stream, a tradition, a denomination, like. You just always need to be planting new churches, starting new things to ensure that you continue on because otherwise you are going to slowly die off. And so I think new churches need to be more and more uh, kind of a priority for us. Uh, it, it's easy to stay rooted in looking in at yourselves versus looking at out, outward at others and seeing how to welcome them in or partner with new churches or new people. Um, often when you're around for a while, that kind of the old guard is tired, maybe isn't sure what to do next, but can be fearful of handing the baton off to newer folks. Again, to be clear, most denominations are dealing with this as well. This is not just like an R thing, like a lot of folks are dealing with this. You see it in businesses, you see it in other avenues as well. And so I think overall there's a bit of a tiredness, maybe there's a fear of change, uh, maybe a bit of an identity crisis of being unsure what to do next. And so these are some of the few of the blind spots I believe that our tradition and our faith, uh, faith stream has on some level. Again, maybe you would agree with some of these, maybe you wouldn't. Maybe there are some things you would add to the list or maybe things you would focus in on. Maybe you haven't been here long enough to like actually know how you feel about it. And like, that's okay too. Again, you are welcomed into the conversation. Um, so I'm gonna put the words from John, uh, some of the words from John uh, up here on the screen again. Again, this text calls us to live in the spirit of ever-present humility. Uh, this text calls us to ask and to ponder, ponder the question, hey, where am I getting things wrong? Where are my blind spots? Where are areas I need to grow and improve and change? Or how can the Holy Spirit speak into my life? Uh, where, what are the areas of growth that I need? What harmful ideas or harmful practices am I stuck in? Like how am I hurting my neighbor or myself and not even realizing it, not even seeing it? Um, we call them blind spots because we ourselves can't see them and we need help from somebody else to point them out. And so who do I trust that I can ask these things of? 
Who can I sit down and have a, like an honest conversation with? Who can be an honest mirror for me to help me see things that maybe I'm unwilling or unable to see? Uh, what blind spots does our local church have? What do we need to see or to hear about to change? You know, are we willing to have ears to hear things that maybe we don't want to hear? Uh, and the good news is that no matter where we're at with this conversation, no matter where we're at, like personally, as a church, no matter where we're at, what we've done or left undone, no matter what we've said or left unsaid, Christ is always there in front of us, welcoming us back, telling us, yes, like we can do this. Uh, Christ calls us to newness every single day. So I think staying rooted in that spirit of humility is part of following Christ and saying, like, how can we, like, do this better? What do we need to lay down at the cross as individuals, as a church, as a faith stream? And again, the good news is Christ is always saying, like, yes, there's, like, he's never turning us away when we're doing that thing. Thank you for listening to Papago Butte's Church of the Brethren podcast. If you have any questions or are interested in finding out more about our church, feel free to reach out to us at any time. Our contact information is provided at www.pbcob.org.